Hello and welcome to this edition of our AWS podcast series, Innovation Ambassadors. I'm Sarah Armstrong and as Senior Manager for Worldwide Prototyping at AWS, along with my AWS co-hosts from around the world, we'll act as your ambassadors to some of the most interesting engagements with our AWS Solutions Architecture prototyping teams. Every episode, we provide you with a roadmap to innovation in technology solutions. We're so glad you joined us on this journey. On this episode of Innovation Ambassadors, we're showcasing the journey of the UK Met Office, the National Meteorological Service for the United Kingdom, and a global leader in weather and climate science. Through their collaboration with the AWS prototyping team, we'll discover how UK Met Office is using the power of the cloud to make highly complex climate data sets and data computations easily accessible to scientists and researchers. I am excited to welcome Jeremy Tandy, Technology Principal Fellow, the UK Met Office. Thanks for joining us today, Jeremy. I'm pleased to be here. Thanks for inviting me. And also from UK Met Office, we have Neil Robinson, Head of Product Futures. Welcome, Neil. Hi, everybody. Nice to be here. From AWS, we have John Hammond, AWS Head of Compute for UK and Ireland. Great to have you with us, John. Hi there. Great to be here. And also from AWS, we have Chakra Nagarajan, Principal Machine Learning Prototyping Architect. Great to chat with you, Chakra. It's a pleasure to be here, Sarah. Well, Jeremy, for our international audience, can you share a little bit about the mission of the UK Met Office? The Met Office is a global leader in weather and climate science, and we were founded way back in 1854. It's part of UK government and the National Meteorological Service for the UK. And our purpose is to help people stay safe and thrive providing data, insight, and guidance about increasingly severe weather and its impacts in the changing climate. And at the Met Office, we don't just do science. We're fairly unique in spanning from research through to operations and everything from researching detailed atmospheric processes through computational modeling to informing policy through investigation of climate change, supporting emergency responders dealing with severe weather, or helping businesses like airlines and utility companies optimize their operations. And this is all based on a foundation of technology and data. We've been at the forefront of supercomputing for numerical weather climate prediction since the 50s, where we had this thing called a Ferranti Meteor, which is like 3,000 flops or floating point instructions per second. And today we have three Cray machines doing 16,000 trillion flops to power the forecasts that, that we use, producing over like 200 gigabytes of data per minute. And that's going to be three terabytes a minute in 10 years. So we have this huge data challenge in making things useful for people to understand what's happening. So anyway, that's us. That's the office. It's quite a broad remit, isn't it? Uh, and, and very important. So, you know, maybe you can talk to us a little bit about this mission to take all that data that you have and provide it to scientists. This work really started when we were looking at making some of our weather and climate data available through the Amazon Sustainability Data Initiative, which is an initiative that can fund the kind of provision of data that's open and for the greater good. Really, we got talking to the guys at Amazon about how much more useful data like ours would be if we could surround it with a kind of a better UX or a new new generation of UX for using this data. And really, I think this applies to a lot of the data-driven economy. It's not just about science data or Met Office data per se. There's really an opportunity to completely re-examine the tooling that's around data. There's a lot of work being done on data platforms and data tools, but really I think that the user stories are kind of like 
outstripping the tooling that's available. Really, there's a lot of undifferentiated heavy lifting to coin your your term at Amazon. There's loads of stuff around like finding data, loading it, cleaning it, prepping it, spinning up compute, distributing analysis. And really, this is something that like consumers of our data have to deal with in order to make it useful. And we have to deal with internally to kind of make proper use of our data as well. Yeah, absolutely. And John, that landscape has changed quite a bit, hasn't it? Yeah, ma- massively so. So, you know, one of the things that we're really finding at the moment is just the amount of data that exists across all sectors is just dramatically going through. The overall cadence of science itself and engineering is is increasing. And I think increasingly, we need to get to a position where we can start to democratize that access both to data, to science, and really start to apply some of the interesting engineering principles that, that we apply to software and computer engineering over into the the vast cornucopia that is the the scientific realm. So there's some really exciting stuff around it. So John, I, I feel like understanding data and what it means is sort of like science, we would call that at the Met Office, is fundamentally a creative process. You know, this is really about investigating things and finding out unusual stuff. And there's a real, I guess, a, a, a risk that if we don't have tooling that lets people do that unencumbered, people look for things they expect to see in places they expect to see them, which is like the antithesis of good science. We really care about stuff we don't expect, right? So there's this real concern if we don't have appropriate tooling surrounding all this data, we won't use it to, you know, its, its most effect. Yeah, it's interesting when you look at some of the challenges that are occurring in science at the moment around the reproducibility crisis or the closed draw crisis that's happening. Of We've kind of come to this interesting precipice where there's, there's so much work being done, but sadly only the successful things are necessarily always being surfaced. So I think the more that we can expose that that kind of underlayer of the broader piece of science itself, I think there's a lot of really interesting learnings that can come from it. I've got a feeling a lot of the kind of solutions that have emerged for using data so far have really been almost like the low-hanging fruit. And now we're into an age where actually, if you want to look at your sales data to uh, target your advertising or something, that's kind of like a relatively done problem. Now we're getting onto the really complex stuff. Like how do you use highly complex probabilistic data like the Met Office's data, but combining it with data from other disciplines and other realms. And that's where the kind of you know, the mileages to be made at the minute. And that's that's really, really hard. So yeah, basically, that's what we're trying to work on together, right? Jeremy, maybe you can give us a sense of what types of data we're bringing in. You mentioned some of that remit that you had earlier. But for this particular endeavor, what, what type of data were we looking for? One of our major things that we're really interested in is understanding climate change and understanding how that affects people. The data that we selected for the prototype um, were two of the large gold standard open access climate data sets. These are already published and available as open data on on ASDI, and they're well representative of the data we use within climate science. So the first is an experiment from uh, what's called CMIP6, which is the sixth coupled model intercomparison project. It's uh, uh, the climate model data used by the International Panel on Climate Change in writing their climate assessment report. That one happens to be located in U.S. West one region, and then there's a another data set which is called ECMWF Era Five, uh, which is the fifth generation of an atmospheric reanalysis of the global climate from 1950s to present day, um, and that provides us with hourly estimates of many atmospheric, land, and ocean climate variables. And that one's in US East One, and so we just chose a subset of that, which is the last 10 years, and that's 53 gigabytes. And all the time we see people. They say, I want to use ERA 5, so 
the traditional method is I've got to take a copy of Era 5 and work on it locally. And that sucks, right? Moving 53 gigabytes of data around is not impossible, but it's downright inefficient. So let's find a way where we can use it in situ with what people call data in place approaches or data proximate compute. And that's one of the kind of the main engineering challenges we asked Chakra and the crew to help us with with the prototyping. So yeah, this is like one of the key bits of undifferentiated heavy lifting. There's a bunch of them, but one of the ones we wanted to tackle first was, as an analyst, how do I take some computation I want to do to the data and be able to distribute that in a way that's I don't have to be an engineer and in a way that's efficient so that, as Jeremy says, we're not pulling data across the Atlantic for the sake of it when we could be distributing the compute. So previously, you had to be a pretty experienced engineer to be able to do that. And our, our challenge with you guys was, can we kind of make this transparent to a user? So as a, you know, a mere mortal, like just a scientist rather than an engineer, can I get the advantage of using your hyperscaling compute so I can get these answers much quicker? Chakra, that's a the great segue to talking a little bit about the scope of the prototyping engagement itself and taking those two data sets. And maybe you can talk us through a little bit about what your approach was. Initially, we started by conducting a deep dive workshop to understand the requirements in details. Sustainability was one of our primary goals. Jeremy was talking about the data available across various regions. In other words, is the data proximity. Other than that, we had multiple challenges like performance or scalability. And how do we bring the data accessible to the climate scientists who are available in a different region? In this case, it is London. From an ease of use perspective, I think Neil is the best person to talk about it. So it's not uh, best for the climate scientists to go and uh, write a code and find out where the data is available, access, and then do the computation over and above. So it's a multidimensional problem when we started looking into it. And uh, we have considered several options. From a storage perspective, it's not a good idea to cross-mount the petabyte of file system from, uh, let's say, US East to London or US West 1 to London. That's not only uh, the latency and the performance issue, but also the manageability part of it. So that's storage from a data proximity perspective. That was a major challenge. And also, we have considered a few of the partner solutions, but none of them uh, were able to fit out of box to solve this problem. So that was the major challenges or the different options uh, that we have considered. And Neil, that element of also looking after sustainability, obviously, probably very important for the mission there and to be consistent with your values, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so the good news is that making stuff carbon efficient is sort of related to making stuff cost efficient as well a lot of the time. It's about doing that under the hood for people. Like the user story here is that you want to ask a question about science. I'm really keen that we kind of work towards a stage where scientists, we can give them back their flow. Like I say, this is ultimately, this is a creative thing. And currently there's a lot of waiting for stuff to happen and, you know, sending analyses away and waiting 24 hours for it to come back. And that's on a good day, right? I think that Chakra and the team have done a really good job. I think that's one of the things that really came out of this was about being able to send a compute. And actually a lot of the way we measured the success of this project was about the amount of carbon that we saved from this new architectural approach. Just picking up on one thing you were saying there, I think it's a really interesting point. I think this this ability of giving scientists back their flow, I think people underestimate how creative a process science is. I think you know, the sooner you can get to this position that you can see the feedback from what you're doing. And I think there's 
there's kind of this interesting position that we're getting in that the models and the work that are occurring are becoming more and more both complex in themselves and they're more and more interdependent of other models that sit around it. And it's really interesting. It's, this, it's the same journey that software development has gone through. I mean, if you look at the rise of DevOps that turned up, really that was the fighting back against these increasingly large monolithic pieces of code going into smaller, breakable down things, increasing that cycle time, increasing the cadence. And I think actually if we look at um, the science itself is is absolutely fantastic, you know, fantastic scientists that we get to work with. But you know, you look at things like the time that it takes to go from scientific paper to peer-reviewed journal averaging out at three years or so. I mean, really where I think we can really help, I mean, really, really help, is just decreasing that slightly, even if that's by a small percentage, you start to get this really interesting marginal gains. And you know, the more that effectively we can let scientists do what they want to do and just take away that engineering over, take away the thinking that is standardizable across it and just allow them to, to kind of excel, the better for everyone, really. Yeah, absolutely. So, Tucker, talk to us a little bit about the architectural approach that you took. As I have mentioned earlier, there are three different regions. So two of the regions which holds the, the data set, what uh, Jeremy was mentioning earlier, and the third region, it's where uh, the climate scientists are trying to do the computation part of it. We have three major components here. So one is the compute. And from a compute perspective, we have uh, actually leveraged on Amazon ECS as a managed service, along with uh, the Dask uh, cluster as a framework. And thanks to the Dask pools as a library, which played a major role over here. And from a storage perspective, we know the AWS Open Data Registry actually hosted the entire data in S3 from different regions. We leverage Amazon FSx for Luster for its uh, you know performance as these applications are heavily I/O bound and uh, throughput as well. So we leverage Amazon FSx Luster, which is linked with the uh, S3 in the backend, local to region B and region C, where the data set resides. Over and above, we also relied on OpenSearch, which actually hosted in the users region, that is region C, which holds the metadata catalog of the data availability across different regions. So this allows the user to query open search and find out a way the data is available according to the different variables that they query for. And the third component is the network. Of course, that's very crucial because um, we need to connect between the different regions internally over across our different VPCs. So we have used a transit gateway here as an alternate. We also evaluate the VPC peering, but we found transit gateway to be a better option here from a scaling perspective. On the other hand, from the ease of use perspective, we developed some custom Jupyter widget notebooks. And again, Neil is the better person to talk about that. I mean, that reduces the amount of time and efforts of the climate scientist massively to look for the right data availability. Yeah, this is such a good start to the UX side of things. I mean, I sort of reeled off a list of undifferentiated heavy lifting earlier, and you've got to like, what's the the metaphor? You've got to eat an elephant one bite at a time or whatever. So this is like one bite. The fact that we've got these placeholders that in principle mean that you don't have to be writing code to spin up a cluster per se, because these people shouldn't have to worry about what a cluster is <laughs> at all. So there's loads more stuff we can do there, but we're, we're making a start. It occurs to me in prototyping, we always talk about it and in this podcast always emphasize that experimentation and innovation are not always a straightforward path and there's oftentimes challenges or hurdles or unexpected 
things that happen along the way. And that's probably very similar to the scientific method, right? The trick is here, if you're really resource constrained, you have a pressure to spend that resource in a way that you think is safe, right? So you choose something that you're pretty sure is going to pay off and you don't take risks where you can discover new stuff. I think one thing that we feel really keenly at the Met Office that Jeremy mentioned earlier is, you know, we've talked already about science and the scientific process, but one of the things I love about working at the Met Office is that we do that science, but we also use that science to work with like blue light responders to rotor staff for next week for extreme weather or something like that. So we really keenly feel the process of taking science and turning it into operations. And that's really key. I think we're past a lot of science that we do. We want to be showing the impact and showing the benefit to the world. And that's definitely true with weather and climate science, where this is a real challenge for society. So this goes beyond just letting people analyze data. Once we understand it, how do we turn that into decision-making systems and tools that can be used in the real world? So I think that, you know, this is a huge challenge that we can work on for a long time. Well, where are we now, Chakra and the team? We're there for a few weeks, kind of laying that foundation for you. What's next in this journey? It was a, a six-week engagement overall. And at the end of the engagement, actually, we enabled the Met Office team to deploy this entire infrastructure using CDK. And the good part, again, from ease of use perspective, the entire deployment was done within just 10 minutes of time. The entire Met Office team, they evaluated with a different data set and with uh, the actual real data set because uh, during the prototype, we have used some of the test data set. But Neil is the better person to talk about some of the performance numbers that we got during the production testing. But the, the overall performance and scalability numbers, what we could see, it's absolutely stunning. The performance was linear with uh, the scalability. And as a next step, MetOffice will continue to evaluate with uh, their actual data set on their day-to-day uh, -day basis. For people that aren't familiar with the idea of what sometimes called embarrassingly parallel problems and data local compute, you know, the, when we say to them, you just get the answer faster, it doesn't cost any more money, they think there must be a catch, but that really is true. If you've got a system to parallelize some of these analyses, that really is the case. I think where we really want to go with this is to move it to a way that consumers of our data can get access to systems like this without having to be experts in it. Because really, we have like 600, 700 PhD scientists at the Met Office who sit hacking Python code and dealing with a lot of the hard work of consuming this data. But where we want to get to with these important climate data sets is that the economy can benefit from them so that non-specialists can start using this data to make real-world decisions. And at the minute, that's really hard, you know? And so taking the kind of work that Chakra's done, but presenting it to some of the consumers for instance, of ASDE, the Sustainability Data Initiative, so that they can start to make a bit more mileage with our data. I think that's really where we want to you know, keep working with Amazon in the long run to get there. In addition to what Neil has mentioned, as a next step, we also open source this entire code. Now it is available in AWS samples. MetOffice is keen to partner and develop this code for the next set of usage. Jeremy, you know, I think you had mentioned in the beginning of this idea of democratizing data, uh -huh. right? And I'm wondering if you can speak to that challenge, and Neil just touched on it a little bit, in taking us to that next step. Sure. For me, I'm seeing that how we work with data, it can't be constrained to a single platform or vendor. When data becomes too big to move, we lose the choice about where we can run our workloads. And how do we get to a place where our scientists can work with the data 
and not have to worry about the host platform? How can we get beyond the situation where currently leveraging big data is restricted to institutions that can afford big infrastructure? You know, we need to level things up for everyone so that everybody has the ability to make good decisions based on credible data, whether that's supporting an emergency response to wildfires or investing in the right climate change mitigation strategies. A lot of data's on ASD, a lot of data's on private accounts in AWS, a lot of data's on other cloud platforms, apparently they exist. But good data underpins everything, and we need to create an environment where scientists can do their science, derive their value, create insight by bringing together the data wherever it sits, working with the data wherever it sits in efficient ways like we talked about through this podcast. Jeremy, Neil, John, and Chakra, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us today. And I'm wondering, I'll go to you, Chakra, first. You know, what were some of the reflections you had out of this engagement that you would share with our listeners? Yeah, sure. So there are multiple reflections out of this engagement. So prior to this, um, I have some experience uh, working in the classic weather applications in HPC environment. This is a complete different experience altogether because it's a perfect combination of data science and climate science together. And I believe that we made a huge difference in terms of demonstrating the data proximity along with the performance, scalability, and ease of use. So I see this as a kind of next-generation architecture for such kind of use cases for the multiple weather offices across the globe. Fantastic. How about you, John? What were your reflections out of this experience? It's so interesting from the start, I know talking to uh, the, the folk over at the Met Office, you kind of prefaced all of this with saying that everyone says they're different, but the Met Office really is different in the way that it works the company. And and actually, that's been amazingly true. I mean, it's been a, I mean, an extraordinarily interesting organization to work with in terms of what they're doing, the social good, and just the quality of the people that, that are there is fantastic. There is so much opportunity that sits around this field for overall good of the planet, for every one of us. And that's something that's really brought home to me. This is a really, really important thing for all of us to get right. I think the more that we can effectively take engineering excellence into science, the better. And I think there is just so many opportunities that exist. Effectively taking sensible packaging containers around scientific theory, taking the interesting pieces around that we we tend to do in engineering around testability, reproducibility, inheritance, and moving that into the overall piece around it. I mean, for both myself and for Amazon, sustainability and climate change are really important things for us to tackle head on. And I just don't think this is doable without high quality science and allowing us to, to move it all forward. Neil, how about you? What were your sort of takeaways from the experience? I've been working collaboratively on and off with AWS for about eight years now, believe it or not, um, since before the Met Office really used cloud, actually. And I think getting involved with the Amazon Sustainability Data Initiative has been a key sort of change in the dynamic about what we can do together. And that's the context that this prototyping sort of exists in. Like AWS really has an opportunity to steer, I don't know, best practice or, or the way that these things work. We can hop up and down and talk about these things at the Met Office, but it's not really our remit to be developing this engineering. We just feel the the pain really acutely because we've got this internal challenge and consumers of our data have this challenge about like how do we take insight and turn it into impact. But I'm really excited to continue working with you guys and people like you to try and help the economy in general just get the impact and the benefit that they can get from data sets like this. I, I really feel like there's an opportunity to, to make a difference, like John says. 
fantastic. And Jeremy, I'll leave the final word to you. Thank you, Sarah. So I think we made some great strides forward, but there's still a lot of engineering to make this stuff work. So come on, let's make it a managed service so our scientists can do more science and less infrastructure wrangling. So that's my request. <laughs> Good one. Awesome. Well, Jeremy, Neil, John, and Chakra, thank you again for being with us and sharing your journey with our listeners. Thank you. Great. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'd like to thank our listeners for coming on today's journey with us. Innovation Ambassadors is a production of the AWS Media Series. Look for future episodes of our vodcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite streaming platform. If you have ideas for future episodes or comments on this one, send us a tweet at hashtag AWS Innovation Ambassadors and share your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you.